Hello, welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of Hoppy Night in Canada. Been a little bit of a delay since our last one came out. Apologies for that, we've been busy, but uh, we're hoping to get back on regular schedules here in beautiful North Vancouver. My name is Dave. And I'm John. We're going to drink some beer. Yeah, sounds good. Today, the beers we're going to drink and talk about are dry hop sours. We have three different dry hop sours, two from BC, one from Ontario, and... We're also going to talk a little bit about kind of craft beer tourism. Yeah, it's we're, we're getting close to summer. You know, the weather's finally getting nice on the West Coast. We didn't really get much of a spring, but the sun's out. And now, uh, you know, we, we want to talk a little bit about the idea of if you are taking a trip, going further afield, you want to find out more about breweries in the area, or you're going to make a trip purposefully to try some new beers. Uh, so we'll cover a couple of topics about that. Yeah. Okay, before we get into trying the first beer, let's talk about our, our beer of the moment. Um, for me personally, the standout beer that I've had recently is from Steamworks Brewing in, well, Burnaby, technically. Uh, it's their summer seasonal. They're calling it the Tart Tropical Ale. Uh, it is a, it fits, it fits in with the, the day that it's a bit sour. It is brewed with pomegranate and passion fruit. And so it's got, I mean, passion fruit is, is pretty pretty sour to begin with if you've tried park life from bomber brewing this one's the tart tropical ale is fairly similar but i think i like it even more okay um so highly recommend it comes in tall packs or tall can four packs of tall cans uh and it's it's great nice uh i think beer of the moment for me is actually one from a little while ago it's a collaboration beer from Four Winds in Delta, and then Nickelbrook Brewing, Sawdust City Brewing, and Great Lakes Brewing, three Ontario breweries from various parts uh, in and around Greater Toronto, and a little bit further north into the Lake Country. Uh, it was called Best Case Ontario. Uh, it's also with yeast from Escarpment Labs, which is a, a beer-specific yeast lab based in Ontario, and they harvest yeast strains out of the Niagara Escarpment. So it's a, it's a really cool collaboration, especially because obviously these are all breweries that I uh, have enjoyed beers from when we were living in Ontario. So it was cool to see them collaborate with someone like Four Winds. It was a Fodor Age Farmhouse Ale. Really, really good. Has those kind of funky, kind of bready notes. Uh, yeah, it was, was really great. And it's, I think, mostly gone by now, but I know for a fact that there are still some uh, bottle shops on the North Shore that have it. So if you're interested in beers like that, I would definitely recommend checking it out. Yeah, I've tried it. It's excellent. If you get a chance, if you come across a bottle, snap it up. Yeah. Cool. All right. Let's uh, let's get to our first beer. So being as we're doing dry hop sours, we thought we'd start off with what is, I would say, essentially the godfather of dry hop sours in, <laughs> in, in BC. Um, I think, I'm pretty sure this was the first dry hop sour I ever had. It is from Four Winds Brewing in Delta, Nectarus. Let's give it a try. I say a try. Like, we have both had this before many times. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would I would rate this as probably the one of the best beers in the world. I know that's, that's pretty a, high praise. That's I know pretty... that's, a, that's a bold <laughs> statement, but I really think that Nectarus is... I mean, it's perfect to its style. It's delicious. Everything about it just like sits perfect for me. 
Yeah, it's a it's it's a great mixture of you get these really nice kind of fruity notes, both in the smell and also the taste. It's got that kind of really dry, not overly puckeringly sour, but it's it's that kind of dry crispness that can sometimes come from from really well done uh, sour. I mean, we'll we'll get into the style in a bit, but it's definitely something that can be overdone and you know just like literally puckers the mouth if it's done too much. Totally, this, this one feels just like dialed in. Oh, totally, totally. Um, it is, this one is, we'll talk about, again, we're, we're going to talk about this a little bit. Uh, Nectaris is a kettle sour, so it's soured before fermentation. So Four Winds has a little bit of control over the level of sour it gets to and then can stop it. And I think they've done an excellent job of sort of stopping where it gets to. Um, with the dry hops, you get that fruity nature. You almost feel like just on the nose and the palate, you you almost feel like there's some stone fruit in there or something like that. There's an apricotiness a little bit. Yeah. Um, but there there isn't any fruit added. Yeah, it's just it's it's really nice. It's a great example of the style. Yeah, it's delicious. Yeah. I would say for a ranking, like I said, I think this is one of the best beers in the world. I'm going ten out of ten on this one. Ten out of ten. Oh, man. Um I'd put this I, I mean, yeah, right now for me this is easily nine, maybe nine and a half. I'm going to go nine. It's still like, I, I think it's a fantastic, a fantastic example of the style. Um, I don't know if it's still, if it cracks into like all time favorite beer cat territory for me, but certainly as far as, yeah, it's a great beer. So dry hop sours are kind of a, they're a bit of a newer style. I, I say that Nectaris is kind of the, the godfather, the OG of dry hop sours in BC, which is true. Their original version of Nectaris was aged. I think it was barrel aged. Originally, it was in a, like a, a, a limited seasonal series where they would make one batch per year, and when it was gone, it was gone. They've recently moved it to their Zephyrus series, which is their year-round specialty beer. So thankfully, you can get Nectaris almost all the time. It's been around for about three years. Um, so it is dry hop sours are a very new style of beer dry hopping beer is not a new technique yeah so the the standard way to brew beer obviously is to add hops during the boil like during the during the actual brewing of the beer itself dry hopping a beer uh involves additional hops being added uh while it ferments correct yes cool yeah so I, so the original beers that were dry hopped were IPAs. And it was in the late 80s and the 90s when Sierra Nevada started making really hoppy IPAs was when they started, was when sort of dry hopping was first introduced. And brewers have been doing it with their IPAs forever because it adds, seeing as how it's added after the boil, it adds, basically, it adds hops aroma, but not the bitterness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it adds to the nose, but doesn't really change that much in the sort of the flavor. And in a beer like a sour, the main flavor is the the tartness. It's it's basically an acidity, and so the dry hopping just adds some aroma and some sort of another layer of flavor to it. Um, and it 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 works really well. And so dry hop sours are a beer style that is really coming into sort of coming into its its own these days with this beer and some of the some of the other ones that we're going to be drinking. 
Yeah, it's sort of becoming a, a, a sub-style of a sub-style in some ways. And But what I mean by that is, you know, you'll see, like, sour beers right now are enjoying their day in the sun, especially in North America, right? Totally. Like, sa- but, but sour beers are this gigantic category, and they can mean a lot of things, right? Like, if you're drinking a sour beer from Belgium, there's a chance that that is done using a technique like wild fermentation, right? Where, where the beer is... Uh, brewed and then it's left in these open containers um, and usually wood containers I believe so there there are things added from within the wood there's also they're just left to the open air so just wild yeast will just fall into the beer and start the fermentation process it's later moved to, to kettles and things to continue the fermentation or uh, barrel aged from there we've talked about barrel aging before you know that's that's one type of beer that qualifies as a sour you've also got beers that are brewed you know, using modern techniques, so not with that open fermentation, but strains of either yeast or bacteria of some kind are added in during the fermentation process. So it kind of achieves the same end, but it's different than wild yeast strains. They're usually cultivated yeast strains um, to it, you know, to try and access one or a set of specific flavors or characteristics. So that's kind of one whole category. And then, but one of the big things that that takes, uh, especially the, the kind of wild fermentation ones, is time. It takes right? a ton of time. A lot of these involve, you know, these are beers that have to be aged and mellowed. And in a lot of cases, you know, a, a very traditional brewery like Cantillon uh, in Belgium will, the, the main beer that they release is a blend of lambics, which are kind of uh, raw sour beers. And they're blended, you know, at, at ones that have been aged for one year, two year, and three years in, in barrels. So there's a lot of time and investment. And we've talked before about, like, that requires a lot of space to store the beer. It requires capital. Like, there's, there's a lot that goes into that. Um, and so people started to try and develop techniques for, like, how you can achieve that same sour, like achieve certain uh, of those characteristics of these sour beers, but in a shorter span of time and without that aging process. Yeah. And that's kind of where we get into kettle souring. Yeah. And so kettle souring involves doing the first step of brewing, which is mashing. So you take the grains of, you take the grains of the beer, steep it in hot water for an hour ish. And then take the runnings of that which what that does is that breaks down the long strain starches in the grains into more simple sugars which are what are fermented the runnings of those uh grains are then put into the brew kettle as for a normal beer but then usually they're left for about 48 hours and often inoculated with some souring bacteria usually bacteria the bacteria is then allowed to go to essentially ferment this beer for a couple of days to get to a sour a sour point because the off the product of this bacteria is the sour flavor gets to a certain point that the the brewery is happy with and then they start the boil so in the boiling it kills all of the bacteria yeast whatever the active ingredient is kills that they then Go. The brewery will then go through the rest of the pro- the process of making the beer, adding hops, whatever, and then produce it, and then it gets fermented with regular yeast after that. Um, and then it's going to go through that standard fermentation process that all beer goes through. Yeah. But you're going to then get, I guess, the sour characteristics, which you've created essentially earlier in the brewing process. It then goes through a normal window of fermentation, which is, what, 28 days-ish for a beer? 
depending on the beer, it can be as, as little as eight, as many as 28. Yeah. If for some lagers, it's even up to three or four months, but right. you're okay. typically not going to sour a lager. That's yeah. not really a thing. <laughs> At least not, not in my experience. That's not really a thing. Not yet. Give someone time. They'll figure it out. You but, say that. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. Two years from now, sour, sour lagers. lagers. We're calling it right now. Um, so, so yeah, it's a, it, it, it seems to be um, – there's a good article on, I think, a, a website called New Beer School, which kind of talks about this it, it being this very cost-effective alternative for breweries that are looking to get into making sour beer – but don't have the time, space, money, you know, whatever factors that, that are just hard to come by for a sort of more natural souring process. Yeah. They, you know, a, a, a kettle sour beer is a good way to achieve those qualities and get them out, but uh, at a lower cost and in a shorter amount of time. Yeah. You know, you're not waiting three years to make sure that, like, maybe this beer turned out okay. Like, you're, it's a standard beer. You're just uh, creating, you're making it sour as part of your normal process. Yeah, and so it's, as John was saying, sometimes they can be up, they're aged up to three years or six months or something like that, whereas the process for a kettle sour adds maybe two days to the typical brew cycle. Yeah. So that's a lot more reasonable, and as a result, it can end up producing a less expensive sour for the consumer as well, Yeah. which is kind of nice because when a brewery invests in barrel space and time to create an aged sour all of that time equals money yeah both for the brewery but also that cost of that then gets passed on to the consumer yeah and in addition to that time there's a bunch of risk as well yeah because it's entirely possible that a brewery is going to put down a batch of barrel aged beer wait a year and find out it's no good that actually, I mean, that happened not too long ago with, uh, it wasn't a sour beer, but Daggerad Brewing in Burnaby had something had gone wrong in their process and their entire batch of their anniversary beer that they put out uh, had to be ditched. Like yeah. they had to get rid of the whole thing. Poured it down um, the drain and the, com- and the brewery just ate the loss because yeah. aged sours, aged beers in general, but aged sours are a risk. Yeah. And so that's part of what the cost of these beers are. For sure. And it's, it's interesting, like, I was in Whistler recently. I don't know if I should name the brewery. I, I tried a, a, a kettle sour from a newer brewery, and it was not a good beer. It was, like, they, they had overdone the sour factor. It was a, I think it was a raspberry kettle sour. And the raspberry's barely present. It's overly sour you know, puckers the mouth, no discerning flavors, just citric acid, just punching you in the mouth. That's and like, it's not, so uh, to, to play devil's advocate, I, I feel like there's, there's maybe an argument to be made for like, in some ways, the, the extra time and risk that a, like a, a maybe traditionally made sour, a barrel aged sour is going to be maybe like a little bit more thought is put into it. And maybe a kettle sour allows you to, you can jump in on the sour game, even if really you're not, doing it well yeah but like that's the risk you take and if if like if i have to survive a bad beer every now and then to have beers like nectaris readily available like that's that's fine that's a cost i'll take 100 percent, 100 percent. like to to bring it back to the top uh dry hop sours are this interesting in the same way we've been talking about adding fruit to a kettle sour you know kettle sours on their own can potentially be just too sour or too single note and so i think a lot of um 
a lot of times breweries will be adding fruit, but then now there's this like specific variety, I would say, of dry hopping kettle sour beers. And you get a lot of variety within that because then it comes back to the selection of the hop, you know, the the certain flavors or, or aromas that you can get out of that and the esters that those are going to add into the beer uh, during the fermentation process. And so it, it feels like it's growing into its own style in the same way that like out of the larger body of sour beers, kettle sour is now like its own sort of defined thing. Dry hop sours, even within that, are, are now becoming sort of a known quantity. And then you can sort of, I mean, the reason why we're doing this in the first place is there are enough dry hop sours out there. You can start to get those and compare them against each other in terms of quality. Yep. One of the, one note sort of tangentially related to this, um, for people in Vancouver, m- when most of the, most of the kettle sours that you see are in a tall bottle. Most of them are in a 650 milliliter bomber or a 750 milliliter champagne style bottle, something like that. However, I'm going to give a shout out to Main Street Brewing because they have started putting their kettle sour, which is called Fruit Bomb, in six pack cans. So nice. It is the only sour I've ever seen that is in essentially a single serving beer, which I am so happy about because I think like, Kettle sours are really good summer, refreshing summer beers. They're not too tart that they're usually, they're not too tart that they're kind of puckery. They're just, they're, they're sour enough that they're crisp and refreshing. And I love that you can now get them in a six pack can. Cause that's a good, it would be a good softball beer. It'd be a good yeah. beach beer. Gonna be a good outside drinking on the patio beer. And they come in it in a single serving size. Yeah. Which is the, easily the first time I've seen it. I think that's great. It's pretty nice. All right. Cool. Let's uh, let's drink the next beer. All right. Let's do it. So, beer number two, coming in from Ontario. It's been a long time since I've gotten to talk about this brewery, so I'm super happy that I actually get to do this again. Um, <laughs> in the three years I lived in Ontario, it's easily my favorite brewery that is in the greater Toronto area, if not the entire province. It's from Bellwoods. It's their dry hop sour called Jelly King. I still don't know the full story as to how they are now on the West Coast. As far as I can tell, this is still the only beer that's been imported. I talked to someone at Brewery Creek, which is a a private liquor store in Vancouver, and they said that, yeah, some importer has picked them up, and this is sort of a a trial run. They're apparently also going to be at Farmhouse Fest, which is a a festival for um, sour and and farmhouse ales, which is held uh, on the University of British Columbia campus out at their farm Yep, because they have a farm. And, uh, and yeah, it's middle of summer and apparently, uh, Bellwoods is going to be there, which is super exciting. But yeah, the, the fact that this, this, uh, finally is available on the West coast, I think is wonderful with any luck. This is something that we'll see more of. They make fantastic beer kind of top to bottom. So, uh, it's been a while since I've had this. I think actually this was one of the like beer of the moment beers, uh, in uh, some early episode in our first season. Cause it was one of their newer ones that first came out while I was living in Toronto. So I'm excited to try it again. As far as I can remember, it's wonderful. Yeah, if you go back a few episodes, or if, if you go back into past episodes, especially when John was living in Toronto, Bellwoods got talked about a lot. Oh, all day, every day. <laughs> the aroma's nice. It's a, it's a little more, um, the aroma's, I think maybe just a tiny bit hoppier than the Nectarus was. Yeah, I think so. It's not as fruity, I think. No. It's a little bit, I, yeah, I, I, I can't, pinpoint it but it's it's not like nectarus has a very fruity aroma yeah and this is kind of less so yeah which likely has to do with the type of hops used 
I suspect Nectaris uses. I don't. I obviously. I, this is just me speculating. Don't. <laughs> I suspect that Nectaris uses some of the more, I guess, modern hops, both sort of modern West Coast hops, but also um, southern, maybe possibly some of the southern hemisphere hops, which mm-hmm. produce a lot of those sort of stone fruit and tropical fruit flavors yeah any any of the beers that i've had that use like australian or, or new zealand hops like they have that they have those super yeah there's these very noticeable characteristics yeah and so i suspect that those are the the hops being used in nectaris to produce some of those flavors but uh yeah this is this is really nice this is the yeah. first time i've ever tried jelly king um so it's a new beer to me it's not as it's not nearly as sour as nectaris no it's it's a much milder yeah um take on a dry hop sour yeah, it's. Uh, I'd say the the bitterness is up a little bit from the nectaris. The sourness is down a bit. Um, I've actually like this reminds me of some more recent beers I've had that are. It, it's not as hoppy as an IPA, but there are some like sour or wild IPAs because that's another variant of IPA that's becoming more popular. Yep. Um, I've had a couple that actually dial in pretty close to what Jelly King feels like. It's it's a little more. I, I don't like using this term, but it's a little bit more beery. The nectarus, like yeah, I obviously, think so. obviously, like nectarus is is still a beer, but this is more what your dad maybe thinks a beer is. It feels like a backhanded compliment <laughs> if I ever heard one. I won't stand for it. <laughs> Not for Bellwoods. Um, yeah, I think like um, I, I think I know what you're saying that like the the Jelly King has a bit more muted versions of those characteristics, as well as I think a slightly higher bitterness, which makes it again fall yeah fall more in line with like a, a, a hoppy beer that you recognize, but with some sour characteristics, as opposed to I would almost put Nectaris as a sour first that has other things going on. Totally, totally, and I mean in the Jelly King you can you can there's a little bit of even like malty flavor. There's a little bit yep. more malty flavor in the Nectaris. There's no malt. You yeah. don't taste the malt at all in no. Nectaris. There's there's no malt. It's just it's juicy and sour. Yeah, which is great. I yeah. love that. Um, whereas this one's, it's just got a little bit more balance. Yeah, like John said, it's a little, it's a little bit more muted, but it's a little bit more balanced. Yeah, I would give this. I'm giving this a strong nine. I may go higher than Nectaris on this. I think I'll go. I'll go nine and a quarter. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. It's yep. just in a choice between the two. They're both wonderful. But I think in it, in drinking them back to back, I do like the slightly more muted, slightly more balanced version of a dry hop sour that Bellwoods is putting forward. Yeah, and that's they're both so far the two beers we've had are both outstanding. They yeah, they're both they're fantastic excellent beers. Excellent yeah. beers. If you, for the record, like if if you're in Ontario, get yourself to Bellwoods and get some of their beer. And if you're in Vancouver, their Jelly King is last I checked is still on shelves. Um, it may be harder to find in some of the more popular liquor stores, but um, as someone who lives on the North shore, uh, it's still available up here. So cross a bridge and uh, drop by one of the private liquor stores up here and, uh, and pick up some Bellwoods. So like we said at the top of the episode, we want to talk a little bit about the notion of beer tourism and I, I think that's like that, that's a big broad category. I, I think what we're talking about is like traveling for the purposes of of, of trying new beers, uh, or trying new beers as part of another uh, trip that you're taking. So this could be anything from like a few weekends ago, uh, Dave and I and a couple of friends uh, got on bikes and did a sort of miniature tour of the North Shore, checked out a couple of breweries. So you know you can take half a day, do a bike tour in your own city, try some new breweries. I think recently I was up at Whistler. Uh, Dave, you've been out to the island. 
Yeah, yeah, and I mean, also fairly recently in Port Moody, there's four breweries on what's now referred to as Brewery Row. Yeah, so like there are lots of places you can go visit where there's lots of interesting beer. Yeah, yeah, and this um, there's a there's a side note I think here of you know uh, Vancouver in some ways right now is it's like an embarrassment of riches when it comes to beer, right? Like there's a new brewery opening up every few months. There are new beers being put out by tons of breweries. There's new stuff to try. And like, you can easily just spend all your time focusing on lower mainland breweries and never even go as far as Abbotsford. Right. Totally. Like totally. You can, you can stay firmly within the realm of your city limits and try, you know, there's more beer available than you could ever try, but there's something fun about, getting outside of that a little bit and getting to try kind of uh, new and different beers in in other areas. Because it, it sometimes, it's funny because we're talking about this, where like dry hop sours are this like subgenre of a subgenre of beer, right? And I think there there is a tendency sometimes for cities to be a bit um, myopic. Some breweries are going to do something and a lot of breweries are going to copy them, right? And so sometimes in a city, like a trend is going to sweep through. And so suddenly every brewery in town has a milkshake IPA or like every brewery in town has some sort of thing. And like, if you make it a point to travel a little bit further, you may find something different, right? You may find people who aren't as influenced by the brewery that's next door or like in the next block, who's doing something that everyone seems interested in. Like some, there, there, there may be more experimentation. There may be just something that's uh, staying out of or bucking the trend. Like there's, there's interesting things to be found, interesting beers to be found. If you go a little bit further afield, I think. Yeah, totally. Totally. And there's, there's kind of different experiences too. Um, and this is, so I grew up on the island, on Vancouver Island. Most of my family's on Vancouver Island still. And so traveling to places with beer is something I, can, I do on a semi-regular because I go visit family and oftentimes we go and have beer. And like my parents, I mean, particularly my dad has always, my dad's always been a beer drinker and he's always been, he always drank local beer, which meant he was drinking Shaftbury in the nineties. And yeah. it meant he was drinking, I mean, even like Okanagan Springs when they were independent and he would drink Vancouver Island brewing a lot. Um, and so when new, when new breweries are opening up in places like Nanaimo or Shimanis or Duncan, my dad loves to go and try them. And because he's also a chatty person, um, <laughs> he ends up talking to the owners for half an hour and, you know, learning all about the inner workings of these new breweries, everything yeah. like that. A lot of which he doesn't understand at all, but that doesn't matter. He's still happy to talk <laughs> to them about it. Yep. Um, so greater, so Victoria in general, Victoria on Baker Island in general, actually got the craft beer boom before Vancouver did. Mm -hmm. Um, Vancouver Island Brewing has been going for more than 30 years now. Driftwood is approaching 10 years now. Phillips is, I think, 12 years now, possibly even more than that. And I mean, there's always been Spinnaker's Brew Pub, Swan's, Buckerfield's Brew Pub. And so Victoria has always been, you know, lousy for craft beer. But doing kind of a craft beer crawl or whatever you, whatever, however you want to call it in Victoria is kind of a different experience than it is in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. Victoria doesn't really have tasting rooms and lounges. Most of the breweries in Victoria, either maybe they'll fill your growler. Like the, the, the big breweries don't have tasting rooms. 
they'll fill your growler. Hmm. They have a like retail storefront that's usually tiny. They might give you some samples. They'll sell you a T-shirt, um, but it's not a it's not a tasting lounge in the same way that most of the breweries in the Lower Mainland have. Right. Um, so if you're looking for a place to sit down and have a few beers with your friends in Victoria, you have to go to one of the brew pubs, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a shame because some of them aren't very good. <laughs> uh, I feel like for for like Victoria has a great craft beer scene. It's got a decent craft sort of beer tourism scene, but a lot of it is from the bars that ha- that have good craft beer lists. Right. Right. Like there are a lot of good pubs and bars in and, and restaurants in Victoria that have for for a decade now been tuned in with the local craft beer scene and so they have great lists. Yeah. But the tasting room atmosphere isn't there. Yeah. Which Phillips, so Phillips is probably the most established craft brewery in Victoria. They recently took the lease on or purchased the uh, a space next to their brewery and are planning to put in a lounge. So maybe they're going to lead it and other places are going to do the same. One can hope. But the, bre- the breweries in Victoria don't have the tasting lounges. And yeah. it's possible that part of, part of that is because they were around before the Vancouver craft beer explosion, which kind of led the way with the tasting lounges because there was a special license, basically a special license created for brewery lounges in Vancouver. When when Vancouver started getting tasting rooms, it reminded me of the tasting rooms I'd been to in the States. And I feel like that was a sort of model of like what breweries were looking for in terms of like, yeah, the brewery operates a space. It's got taps. You can go in. It's not really a restaurant. It's just somewhere to go and try the beer from the brewery itself. Like it is a, it's a, it's a unique kind of middle space in between. It's not quite a bar. It's definitely not a restaurant, but it's, it's like purpose built to show, showcase the beer uh, of the brewery. Totally. Totally. But um, the, the bar thing is interesting because it kind of like when I think when I think tourism with beer, there's almost two sides of it. One is like purpose, uh, purposeful visiting of a brewery itself. Right. When there when there's a tasting room um, or if you're going to even drop in and, and pick up beer to go or something like that, like in a in a region you're unfamiliar with going into the brewery itself. Um, but the other half, sometimes like a, a good a good beer bar, a good brew pub can sometimes be really helpful for that. So I think of like, if I've, um, a couple times I've traveled for, for work and, you know, I'll be in a city for three or four days. And if on one of those days I'm like, cool, like I'm in Washington DC, you know, I've got one night off from a conference and I want to go, I'd like, I want to try some of the local beer. I'm not going to make it a point to go out to like find breweries and do a thing like that. Like I like having that single spot of just like, Hey, like what's, what's the beer bar here? In the same way as like if I was coming into Vancouver for a day, it, what what's the alibi room equivalent? You yeah, know? Totally. or what's the I guess Barvolo? I think the old Barvolo is closed. The new one hasn't opened yet in Toronto, but the same equivalent, right? Like, what's yeah. that one place you can go and like get the local scene? Yeah, totally, totally. And that's a like, I I I know for me like the internet's invaluable for this, and in it's just like. Uh, you've got the main things like rate beer and like beer advocate and those sorts of things where you can literally just go and get like a map. And then there's like community ratings of just like top to bottom, like what's the best beer bar in town. And then you're just like, all right, I'll just, I'll go drop in there. Yeah, totally. That, and that's a good way to do it. And that's, that's kind of like John said, that's a, that's a different type of beer tourism compared to specifically seeking out breweries. Yeah. Um, 
and the, like the seeking out of the breweries with especially ones with tasting rooms and the ones that have opened again with my experience on the island the ones that have opened more recently there's a few so there's one that opened in nanaimo called uh white sales and they've got a big tasting room. They've got a really big tasting room. Um, it opened in an old kind of scuzzy bar. Like they, they, they took over an old scuzzy bar in downtown Nanaimo, gutted the whole place, cleaned it up, um, put in the brewery, and the tasting room's huge. It's like the basically the square footage of what the bar used to be. Nice. Uh, there's a great new brewery in Shimanus, uh, which is about 45 minutes south of Nanaimo, called Riot Brewing. And I've um, seen a couple of theirs, like they, they got, as far as I understand, they're pretty new, but they got quickly into bottling. Like you can get some of their stuff around in greater Vancouver yep. now. Yep. They, they actually, they, they're doing tall bottles and they're also doing cans. Oh, um, nice. So they, they got a lager, they're called Lip Slide Lager. They got an ESB, which is good. Um, they had a Dark Mild, which is a style you don't see a lot of. And, and they got a couple other things. They got an IPA, they got a Pale Ale, they got all this sort of the standards. Yeah. Um, they have a tasting room in Shimanus. Mm-hmm. Um, Shimanus is a real small town. Yeah. Um, there's one in Duncan called Red Arrow, which I've talked about a few times on the mm-hmm. on the podcast, and it's quite good. They have a tasting room. This sort of thing feels like, to me, the going to a few different breweries in the tasting rooms, kind of like wine touring, if you're in thinking like Napa Valley or Sonoma, yeah. or even in Canada, the, the or in BC, the Okanagan Valley. Yeah. You're going to go to a few different wineries. You're going to go to... The winery is going to have some sort of tasting room. You're going to try a few wines in a flight or what have you, um, and that's and like that to me is kind of what the the breweries are a little bit trying to emulate. I think so, yeah. And like I th- I think that it it starts to become tourism in its own right. I get that, that that's maybe the point that it gets to is like there's it, it seems like BC is hitting this tipping point of it's gone from you know there are there are breweries and you can visit them and you can go to their tasting rooms and things like that and that's that's a really cool experience especially like in Vancouver you've got these sort of neighborhoods where a bunch of breweries have popped up and you can kind of purpose go to that neighborhood and walk around a few places but um, things like the island where yeah you have like you have Victoria and Nanaimo and then in between it you suddenly have these smaller towns and breweries are opening up in them and then like uh i think of also like sunshine coast where like there's a couple in gibson's there's obviously all the way at the other end of powell river you've got town site and things like that but you can suddenly start to actually like string together these sort of trips that are not unlike kind of wine tours where you can go to various breweries try various beers from that area um and it's not the the interesting part i guess is like wine wine is so tied to geography where it's like you know trying wines in like you say in sonoma or in napa versus wines in the okanagan valley they're going to be pretty different that's the thing like yeah you're you're going to get those regional differences whereas like beer doesn't have that same regional aspect to it but all the same in the way that like breweries play off each other and there's collaboration which we've talked about before and there's there's trends that go through breweries in an area you may start to see that in an interesting way if you if you travel like like let's say from victoria to nanaimo on the island you know yep uh, and, and get to try, or like around the Niagara Escarpment, you get to try things out in like in Burlington, Hamilton, all the way out to Niagara itself and get to see like the breweries in the area. Yeah. I find, I do find it kind of interesting because three or four years ago for the first time, uh, I went down to Portland and as we've talked about in the podcast before, Portland is I don't know 10 or 15 years ahead of Vancouver in terms of the craft beer scene. Um, but specifically I went to Portland because it is kind of the craft beer capital of the, of the Pacific Northwest. Mm -hmm. 
there were breweries specifically that I had I'd flagged being like, you know, I want to go to hair of the dog. I want to go to upright. I want to go to, uh, we ended up, we went to Widmer brothers. I would take a pass on that again, but, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean it was, and cascade barrel room. Yeah. Speaking of sours specifically, we, I went to drink beer in Portland. Yeah. And I find it kind of nice or kind of neat that people are now coming to Vancouver to do the same thing. Yeah. Like people are choosing to travel to Vancouver for the craft beer scene. Yeah. It's becoming a destination. Yeah. There actually used to be, and like, I don't know that, I, I don't think that Vancouver is ever going to become this is, is ever really going to have the same thing that Portland has. Um, there's different regulations. There's different laws. There's different zoning in Portland that just allows it to kind of be a, a different, but sort of a more fully developed craft beer scene. Mm-hmm. Vancouver is never going to be Portland, but it has its own sort of feel yeah. In its own right that people are going to come and like Vancouver produces some pretty good beer. Oh, uh, definitely. People are going to come for that. I mean, we even, there used to be a semi-legal uh, Airbnb suite on the floor, on like the same floor as my apartment. And a couple of times we saw people with brewery t-shirts rolling their <laughs> their wheelie bags into the airbnb suite because they were here to drink the beer in vancouver yeah and like that's cool it's like kind of cool yeah it's kind of cool that, that to become like that that uh that we get the chance to live in a city that is becoming a beer destination in its own right and we reap the benefits of that and at the same time it's a launching off point for like other regions of bc other areas that like you can travel to yourself and have a similar sort of like tourism experience for the craft beer industry and even to that end like we were talking about this before the podcast but uh like bc tourism has launched a sort of subsection uh called the bc ale trail um so there's a website for it and they split it up by region and also by like mode of transport so you can say hey i want to look for like bike tours that are in a region whether it's like you know the the northern part of vancouver island or it Port Moody is one of the areas like we were talking about and you know some of the inner parts of the Okanagan and it'll give you this range of like here are breweries here are brew pubs to visit here are things like it's yeah. it's tourism but entirely centered around the notion of BC as a craft beer yeah. destination well and and tourism is one of British Columbia's biggest industries mm-hmm. right I, I like the BC ale trail and I like that uh, tourism BC has realize that this is something that they can play off of because yeah the okanagan like i said the okanagan's been doing this for years with the wine yeah but it's cool that the it's sort of becoming a little more province-wide with beer yeah yeah absolutely like i i think it's a cool thing and, and then also again like even as locals like i've been looking at that website they're launching a bunch of new ones um so the, i think the the website for the for bc ale trail launched last year with a, a few of the regions that were outside metro vancouver and i think one or two of the of the sort of neighborhoods in vancouver and then this summer um they they've been saying kind of coming soon for a lot they're, they're launching a whole set of new regions new tours that you can like self-guided tours essentially that, that you can do yourself it's a really cool thing like I, I think a lot of them say they're launching in july so just in time for the summer months like a good chance even as locals to say like hey you know uh i haven't been out to to gibson since a friend's wedding a couple years ago like it's a ferry ride away maybe i should go check out the sunshine coast see what's see what's going on totally, totally. yeah cool all right well that about wraps so that's a good way to put a bow on that uh, yeah. that discussion let's get into our last beer of the night all right let's do it 
Okay, and our third beer of the of this episode is from prob I guess my version of Bellwoods, in so much as it's the beer brewery I talk the most about. Uh we all need one. <laughs> it is from Parallel 49. Uh, the beer is called Bodhisattva. It is another dry hop sour. Uh, this is this one is unique in that it is not a kettle sour. It is la- a lacto-fermented sour, uh, which just means that as opposed to being soured before the boil, it's boiled and brewed as a normal beer, and then the yeast that is added, or well, when yeast is added, there's also lactobacillus added, which is what provides the sour flavor. So it's going to sour during fermentation as opposed to before the boil, before the actual uh, cooking or brewing of the beer. Yes. Yes. This one, the first time Parallel, Parallel 49 put it out was probably two years ago. Uh, it was a seasonal. And then it showed up again in their Christmas pack a couple years ago. Uh, and they actually have just recently announced that it's going to be or it's going to be a year-round regularly available beer in their lineup which i think is great i'm all for more sours more of the time yeah so all right that's good it's uh you can kind of tell the difference in the souring i i at least i feel like it's not i think that the sour so as it's because like lactobacillus it is producing lactic acid which is the same thing that your muscles produce during a hard workout. Um, but it is, so what it is that tastes sour is slightly different mm-hmm. in this one than it would be in the other ones. And that's, so for, for lack of a better description, um, the, like the sour character feels, it feels rounder. Yeah. Like, you know how, like, so with, with, with the Nectaris and, and Jelly King both, the sour is sort of a puckering, right? It's that sort of, like, it's a, it's very forward and it's very kind of, it's it's pointed. It, yeah, the pointed is a good way. And this, I, the, and, yeah, and and yeah, this one like the the bodhisattva kind of has a more like it's a mellowed or kind of softer feeling to the sourness. It doesn't feel like that same type of sour you get with sour candy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's it's got a it's got a defined taste and feel, but it's not as kind of pointed or or sharp. Yeah, it almost feels like. It almost feels a little bit like if you took sandpaper to Nectarus. Yeah. That's actually a really good way. Because it has a lot of the fruitiness. It has yeah. it has some very similar notes of uh, that kind of fruit taste, a little bit of the aroma as well. Um, it's got So probably a, a, maybe a similar hot profile, but either way, like a, a similar end result in terms of this very kind of like tropical fruit uh, taste and, and uh, feel to it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I am, I am friends with the head brewer at Parallel Forty Nine. Graham Witt is his name. Um, he would probably want me to mention that uh, at BC Beer Awards, Bodhisattva beat Nectarus uh, in the sour category. That's interesting. Um, I, th- I think it was the North American ca- sour category, but I he specifically last time I talked to Graham and we were talking about sour beers, he specifically mentioned it to me that. When he was re- when he was refuting me when I said that I liked Nectaris better, <laughs> um, he Graham made sure to mention that a group of judges uh, like Bodhisattva better. Which I mean, beer awards I kind of find 
I think a little are a little bit bogus, especially when like to me, Nectaris and Bodhisattva are different enough beers that them being lumped into a style is a bit of a challenge. You know, it's one yeah. thing it's it's one thing when you've got a bunch of of uh, like IPAs because IPAs are kind of IPAs, mm-hmm. but like one of the things about beer competitions that can be kind of bogus in my mind are the categories that like the kind of looser categories and you, you see them this is a discussion for another episode but you can see them sometimes where it's like uh, fruit or spiced beer other and you get like a raspberry wheat ale you get a winter spiced beer and you get yeah some other weird like nutmeg beer or something like that and it's just like why are those in the same category like they're very different beers so. yeah there there are sometimes like sometimes the limitations of a category make themselves known you see this list of beers that are technically going head to head and you're thinking like how on earth like these are nothing alike but they fall into one of these kind of um like interstitial categories right like yeah it's, totally uh I'd, where like or it's just the kind of like ends the odds and ends where like everything gets lumped into here yeah. and and i mean to to call back to what we said at the beginning like sour beer is such a big category there's so many ways to achieve a sour taste or character in the beer right the the idea that you're throwing a bunch of them in the same in the same category and just saying like yeah but like eh, they're all sour so sure judge them against each other and totally. it's a it's a tough one um you know and and these things do change and evolve over over time i mean it's like i think in our last episode we talked about future of the ipa of like there's these defined or there are these sub styles of ipas that are sort of becoming becoming styles in their own right you know you you can't necessarily compare a hazy ipa to a west coast you know ultra hoppy ipa no and in the same way like you know we may see a time when sours break down further where it's not just like north american sour it's like well you have to define you know what technique was used yeah. what other parts of the beer you know are important to this flavor profile and like you may see the styles get kind of more and more specific in that way yeah totally totally anyway this uh this beer is really good it is a lot more mellow it's not it's not as sour as i mean in terms of like actual overall sourness but i would put it roughly similar to jelly king it's not near it's not as sour as nectaris yeah um i'd put it i think i'd put in jelly king feels the least sour to me this feels the middle Nectaris feels the most sour. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'd say that's true. Um, it's good. I think it's yeah. eight, eight and a half for me. I'd say eight. It's still a really good beer. Yep. Um, and I, I, I love that we now, that there's now another year round sour. Cool. Well, I guess that about wraps up everything in this episode. Yeah. Uh, as usual, please take an opportunity to rate and review on iTunes. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. The website, yep. you can always, uh, it, lacking other options, go to hoppynight.ca. You can play yep. all the episodes there. Also, check out, uh, we're going to be adding some more stuff to the website. So Dave started his review of the, uh, was it the Central City Collaboration Nation pack to celebrate Canada 150. It's a, it's a 12-pack of beer Central City collaborated with 12 different breweries across Canada. So Dave's going through, he start, he's got one review up. I think there's another coming up shortly. Another coming up soon, yeah. Yeah, so keep checking the website. We're going to be putting up some more stuff than just the episodes. We, we've had some interest on being guests of the show. And so look forward in the next little while for some special guests coming on the show. Yeah. The offer still stands. If you want to be a guest, get in touch. Yeah, um, absolutely. So- like we, we are more than happy to uh, talk to people across Canada about what the beer scene is like outside of Vancouver. Um, Twitter, we're Hoppy Night CA. 
Also Instagram, Hoppy Night CA. Yeah. I think that about does it for our internet presence. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Also tell your friends. Yeah, absolutely. That's the easiest way for other people to discover the podcast to tell your friends. Yep. Word of mouth. Yep. Uh, yeah, that just about does it. All right. Cool. So this has been season two, episode five of Hoppy Night in Canada. I'm John. I'm Dave. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.